poetry, it works. <laughs> it makes you feel things and think things. It works. <laughs> Is your poetry not working? Because it works. Poetry, the podcast where we try to understand poetry. And with us today, a special guest, the Who wee baby. <laughs> the little moon pie is here. Hi, moon pie. You got something you want to say? No, he's sleeping. So sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but trust that he is here for anyone listening. There is another person next to me, a small person. Criticizing, judging. He uh, loves it. What if he grows up to love poetry because he like soaked this up in the background? I think what's going to happen is because he's he's nonverbal so far, but one day when he hits like 10 or something, he's just going to suddenly recite homage to my hips. <laughs> and uh and I'll know. That's right. It was all, it was all because of poetry. That's right. I'm just I'm just going to move the camera just, just a little bit just so you can see see his face here. Because it is just he is so precious. Face. He is a literal angel. I know everyone thinks that like their family, you know, like their, you know, like their nieces and nephews, their their grandkids or whatever, like they're like they're special. But he's actually special. When you're with him, all of your problems go away. They completely dissolve. He's unlike other children. Because I, I have other nieces and nephews that I love very much, but I, you know, they weren't taking away my problems. They were not soothing soothing my soul in the same way they did other things but spirit bear is a bear of spirit the the child i have next to me as i record looks just like steven universe for anyone who wants a mental picture and he is holding my lion stuffed animal that my friend sent me shout out to ethan who sent this to me i don't think he'll mind getting shouted out maybe i'll bleep his name shout out to no one that ethan's gonna be so sad <laughs> that's a really good shout out that's it a is a good shout out awesome. and it I looks like he's doing steven universe cosplay it's very cute just by being himself mm -hmm. but you must also have things going on in your life i uh i'm working uh and it's veterans day so my next door neighbor who's a veteran baked him some veterans day cookies what kind uh they're the ones that i told you about that you said you didn't want like the ingrate that you are uh, I was just concerned that a craisin and a chocolate chip would be too much together. And oatmeal. It's a lot happening in one cookie. It's kind of like a trail a mix. Lot. It's like a trail mix kind of cookie, you know? It's very um, nice of you. You're a very kind neighbor. I try. Well, I, I want to try to get to know my neighbors a little bit better. Um, Why? Well, I mean, you know, like... I feel like if there's like a fire or something, like just knowing who's around and being like, oh, that guy is old. We should make sure that person gets <laughs> close. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, and there's yeah. a, like our, the park right next to our house is like the, the getaway spot. Like if there's a flood or something, it's like the evacuation mm -hmm. area. So it's like, oh, you know, like watch over the neighborhood and help people get to the evacuation zone. So that's what you're going to do. In a, in a fire or whatever? I mean, I know literally two people in the neighborhood. So I, it's a work in progress, but it's a plan. 
I don't know any of my neighbors. I used to. And they all, uh, huh? I would love to be a busybody. You would love to be a busybody? Busybody. Oh, like the person who's like always sitting on the porch, like watching everything. And okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that for you. You've lived in your neighborhood for ages. Well, I didn't. And then I did. But a new neighborhood moved in around us due to gentrification. So all of our old neighbors were banished to the outskirts of Nashville or died or went to jail. And we got and they were replaced with uh, these people. That was quite the array of options. They were banished. They moved. They went to jail. <laughs> they didn't move. They died. <laughs> they were banished. <laughs> they died or they went to jail because that's what happens. Yeah. You know, neighborhood is gentrifying. And I feel like, you know, when, you know, like when, when someone new moves to a new neighborhood, right? Like in movies, <laughs> you know, the neighbors go all over with like a plate of like Rice Krispie treats or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I, I feel like they should have done it because the neighborhood moved in around us. Like, oh. you know, they should have come to us and been like, accept us. Yeah. Like here, here's a casserole. I'm driving up your property taxes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for your update. What was my update? Uh, you're, you had a heartwarming update about baking cookies for your veteran oh, neighbor. Right. And I turned it into a right. soapbox <laughs> moment against gentrification. Yeah. Yeah. My bad. What's what's new with you? Apart Did from this angel sitting next to me, absolutely nothing. I have nothing to say. No. I just spoke to you yesterday. Was that yesterday? Did we talk yesterday? Can you believe it? How do we segue into this poem? What do you think about hips? That was terrible. Should I read it? Maybe I'll read it. No, Yuki, you shouldn't read it. First, I want you to tell me why you chose this poem, because you chose it. Well, you, you, I chose it from a list that you compiled. Um, yes. I, I picked this poem because we've been, we've been doing a lot of dreary, bleak, bleak poetry. Um, mm -hmm. And we just, we go down some mm -hmm. dark rabbit holes mm -hmm. um, and those are fun to explore but sometimes mm -hmm. we gotta do something a little bit different you know mm -hmm. we we don't want to just be like a one trick what's that phrase it's clearly pony one trick pony <laughs> we don't want to be a one trick pony do ponies do tricks if you make them okay so let's just get into it i'm sorry <laughs> that was a little loud um and i also like this poem because I well i want to pause for a moment Wait, but I want to and go it. to your comment. No, I want to say something. <laughs> no, remember, say remember, remember what you were going to say. I don't want to move on from this point, okay? Which is this. First of all, you have complained so much about the podcast being too bleak. And I just feel like it, we, it, we, let's get down to brass tacks, okay? We just need to address it, okay? Because it is an attack on me <laughs> and my tastes. And my personality, just who I am as a person. Not think of you as a bleak or dreary person. And yet you continue to say it subtly. <laughs> and okay, well, number one, okay, I don't think I don't I disagree because the poems that I have chosen are poems that have looked at dreariness or have looked at bleakness, gotten up real close to it and examined it, but have chosen to take a broader view, which is what I love about them. Yeah. Because I, I refuse to turn away from what is bleak or dreary or, or negative or painful about yeah. life 
and our experiences. I think that's that's so uh, it happens so much and it has happened to me so much that I it is like a core value of mine to get up real close to it. You know, there have been some that have been maybe a bit ambivalent or ambiguous, but none that have been like outright saying like life is bad. You shouldn't be living it. Yeah. you know, or any, or anything like that. I mean, that's often what drives people to write is trying to parse out the dreary, bleak parts of life, you know? And truthfully, like all of that is moot because if you had chosen a poem, then we wouldn't have this bias in the episodes that we've done. You ingrate, okay? This podcast was your idea and you have chosen very few poems <laughs> And you keep complaining. I appreciate you. I need you to retract some of that angry energy because you are the sweet angel baby. Okay. I'm going to use him to protect me like a human. Oh, you agree? You agree? (laughs) Oh, what? You also think she's an ingrate? (laughs) I know. I know it's shameful, isn't it? But I don't know anything about poetry. I, that was the whole, that was, that was the energy that I brought into But you know enough to know you don't like a poem that examines what is bleak in life. I did not like it. I have enjoyed all of our podcasts, but I do think that, you know, it's good to change the energy up a little bit, you know, turn on a light switch, sweep out the room, make a little more space for uh, getting up and close with the the dreary, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's the ebb and flow. Mm hmm. So let's, let's, we're, this may be a, we're flowing towards something a little more light, a little joyful, but I think that this poem does maybe the opposite, like it's flowing towards something a little bit more whimsical, but it definitely touches up on some stuff. That's It does. I don't think that's the opposite. I think that's exactly what all the poems we have looked at have done. But that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I think the the opposite is like the tone rather than the, the content. Um, Because I think the tone is light and touches on some some heavy things. And technically, I did choose this one, too. You did. Because I had a list of poems that I liked, and I included this on the list, and you chose this from this. So I would like credit for this. You get credit. The only one that you have chosen of your own accord, truly, is in those years. And it just appeared in a conference pamphlet. (laughs) So I don't know, Yuki. I just, I don't know. I just, I don't know. But I... I appreciate all of the heavy lifting you have done for this podcast. I have done mm-hmm. three lifts. It sounds like you do. It sounds no. like you're very grateful. I am so grateful. I love all of the poems that you've chosen. <laughs> I love you. I appreciate all of your hard work. Period. <laughs> I love you too. You're I a nice you person. Know. You're not an ingrate. Well, I can be both. Um, I forgot my other thought, though. I told you to remember it. I told you yeah, very specifically I to remember it. I forgot. Well, I asked you why you chose this poem, and and I listened to your response and then chose to berate you for why you chose it. Oh, I remember now. Okay. Um, I remember thinking that this one would be fun to read because um, I notoriously don't have hips, you know? <laughs> Like like a, a cylinder. And I was like, oh, I feel like this one will be a challenge for me to like inhabit this poem. Ooh. Yeah. Interesting. Well, okay. 
I don't know how notorious your lack of hips is because it's not something, I mean, it's not like, you know, news has not like spread throughout the village, you know, but I am really interested to, to, I, I'm quite interested to see how you will read this. Um, I'm scared to read it actually. Well, I did, he, I did listen to her read it oh, before. No. So I will reserve any remarks for after. Do you want to read your bio first or do you want to read the poem first? I'll read her bio first. Let me let me tell you a little bit about Lucille Clifton. Uh-oh. Is, Papa- Is there a father here? Papa! Papa, Papa. <laughs> this child has gone. Now we can get now we can get into it. All right, so today we're reading homage to my hips from Lucille Clifton's 1987 collection, Good Woman. Lucille Clifton was an acclaimed American poet whose work often centered on the African-American experience and womanhood. Clifton was born in 1936 and was raised in Buffalo, New York. She attended Howard University and SUNY Fredonia where she studied drama. And I have to imagine that she wrote homage to my hips to be performed. It just begs to be read aloud. She was introduced to Langston Hughes in 1966 by a fellow writer, and her work was subsequently published in Hughes' influential anthology, The Poetry of the Negro. Her first poetry collection, Good Times, was published in 1969 and was named one of the year's 10 best books by the New York Times. She went on to write 14 poetry collections, 18 children's books, and a personal memoir. Her poetic style has been described as lean and succinct. Author Peggy Rosenthal writes, The first thing that strikes us about Lucille Clifton's poetry is what is missing, capitalization, punctuation, long and plentiful lines. We see a poetry so pared down that its spaces take on substance, become a shaping presence as much as the words themselves. I also love how Rita Dove described Clifton's work, which is poetry in itself. She wrote, Clifton's revelations resemble the epiphanies of childhood and early adolescence, when one's lack of preconceptions about the self allowed for brilliant slippage into the metaphysical, a glimpse into an egoless, utterly thingful and serene world. I love that word, thingful. So Clifton was the recipient of numerous awards for her poetry and children's books, including the Juniper Prize, the National Book Award, the Credits Scott King Award, the Ruth Lilly Poetry Prize, the Shelley Memorial Award, the Robert Frost Medal, and selection as a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. She served as the State of Maryland's Poet Laureate from 1974 to 1985 and taught literature and creative writing at UC Santa Cruz, St. Mary's College of Maryland, Columbia University, and Dartmouth College. Homage to My Hips by Lucille Clifton. These hips are big hips. They need space to move around in. They don't fit into little petty places. These hips are free hips. They don't like to be held back. These hips have never been enslaved. They go where they want to go. They do what they want to do. These hips are mighty hips. These hips are magic hips. I have known them to put a spell on a man and spin him like a top. I love that final line. Yes. It's 
been a man like a top. I would love to do that one day. I have never. One day? Have you ever spun a man like a top? No, but... This magic spell of your hips? No, I have not. I have not. I could see you putting a spell on a man and spinning him like a top. I can not see it. (laughs) So you like the last... Why do you like the last line? And what does it mean? Well, I just, I feel like it's, uh, like she's so confident in the power of her sexuality Mm -hmm. and, uh, that's like, so admirable. Like, I really, I wish that like everybody had that, including myself. Mm -hmm. Are you not? Um, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you, you, you seem much more comfortable in your body than I am, for example. But like, I wouldn't, like, I feel like. Lucille Clifton would think of herself as like a sexy person and Mm -hmm. like I'm comfortable in my body you know I'm like recognize that I'm a cylinder and that's just how my body is you know and I'm fine with it I have no shame about my body or anything but I would never think of myself as like a sexy person well I think that I mean that's the whole point of this poem right is that this is like a counter to all of the messages that she's getting that she is not a sexy person. Right. Yeah. yeah. But she like knows in her bones that she's sexy. Yeah. yeah. I think that the the sexiness is like tangential to it. So I think it's it it is I think it is more about being confident in your body and mm. being happy with your body. Putting a spell on a man that doesn't happen until the very end of the poem. So I feel like that's like not the most important thing. I think it's much more about, you know, yeah, just feeling good. Yeah. Feeling. in your body yeah feeling powerful yeah exactly do you feel that I often feel like really grateful for my body being able to like take me up a mountain mm-hmm. or like bike really far so like mm-hmm. in that sense I'm I'm very happy with the power of my body I feel that way more and more especially having been ill for the last few years um you know, I'm able to like there are some days where I can do things some some days where I can't. Um, and so I've definitely come into a new appreciation of my body that I didn't have before. But I I, I don't feel I, I, I love this poem, um, but it's not because I feel the same way that she does. It's because I mean, it's aspirational in some sense for me, but it, it actually just it kind of reminds me of. So I'm I'm like your like bizarro you know like if you're superman i'm bizarro because if you don't have any hips i have super wide hips and so my grandma would always she would always make comments about it and it like this poem reminds me of the stuff she like i would be i would like walk into a room and she'd be like "Mm, big leg mama you know and i'd just be like dang i'm just trying to walk into the room (laughs) and i don't i actually don't like when people make comments on my body usually because when people make comments on on my body they're usually sexual but I I didn't mind it when my grandma would do it it was funny (laughs) and so this poem reminds me of my relationship with her and it kind of reminds me of like like oh yeah I don't need to walk around trying to fit into small places and and I don't need to like try to shrink myself I need to embrace the fact that like I got these wide ass hips so I, I feel um like it's it's like hard for me to feel powerful in my body in the way that the way that she is describing, but I want that very much. Um, and for me, it's like the moment I stop 
thinking about sexiness and I, when I'm able to expand my, my relationship with my body outside of anything to do with sex, that's when I feel powerful. But otherwise, but because my, my perception of my body or like my relationship with my body has been so limited to that for so long because of the kind of culture we grew up in, um, my relationship with my body was very disconnected and very antagonistic because of that. Yeah. And I, I think in this poem, like most of her, I feel like you mentioned this, but like most of her power, it's not like in a, a sexual context. It's really just at the end, like you said before. Yeah. It's really, yeah. I think these hips fit everywhere. Like, mm-hmm. like they belong everywhere. They belong everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I really like the way, the, the way the, the, the poem talks about space, um, because it's not just about like her being in her body. It's about her body being in the world and like the world, you know, like her, that relationship. And so, you know, I've, I've definitely been in situations where like, I have gotten the message that my body, like particularly my hips, like my hips are too big for some, you know, I'm doing yoga and the yoga instructor comes over and tells me like tuck my butt in or something. I'm like, it is tucked in girl. Like, I don't know what you (laughs) think is happening, but like the, the, like her understanding of her body and space is so powerful too. Um, it, it, like it is, it is both coming from, you know, this, this understanding of like what her body can do like internally, but also just like, like I can take up so much space. I can move around in so much space, uh, and it's all mine and you can't try and tell me otherwise. Yeah. Which I love. You mentioned kind of like fitting in to spaces. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, one thing that Lucille Clifton is known for is kind of talking about the African-American experience and the female Mm -hmm. experience. So of course it reminds me of like women and African-American people in general, like not only being allowed to take up space, Mm -hmm. but like that taking of space being celebrated. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so I think we should celebrate the taking up of space more. I agree. So, so in addition to celebrating taking up of space now, I think kind of built into it is, um, I don't know how I would put it. Is it gratitude? I don't think it's gratitude exactly. Maybe that is built into it a little bit, but certainly an acknowledgement of where Black people have been, you know, and how, where, you know, where we have arrived in order to celebrate the taking up of, of space. You know, the, the lines, these hips are free hips. These hips have never been enslaved. Like, I really appreciate that because a lot of the, I mean, because the, not a lot, because all of the ways in which, you know, I, you know, in 2022, I received messages that my body is like not, not good enough in some way. All of this is like rooted in slavery for Black people. You know, it's all about how we, you know, for Black women, we're seen as too big, you know, too sexual, too, too Black, what, like whatever, you know, whatever it is. And like, this isn't just some, like, like, this isn't like a Dove commercial or something where she's just like celebrating, you know, like body diversity to, you know, to just to like, to like sell you something or, or, or like it, where it's, it's very superficial. There is a, like a very genuine uh, and very succinct. I appreciated that um, in your, um, in the bio that you read, uh, a very succinct and a very genuine reclamation of our bodies of the history related to our bodies, of our ancestors' bodies. I mean, there's just like, there's a lot, you know, going on in this relatively short poem. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I really liked, something that you mentioned about like, it's it's this reclamation 
or like a pride in a body type that, you know, white supremacy has told us is not the ideal, Mm -hmm. right? In US culture. And so, you know, like her rejection of that is this like really powerful rejection of that kind of white supremacy culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I kind of started off the podcast by saying, I I really appreciate this poem because as someone without hips, it like, you know, like I I aspire to be this kind of person. (laughs) But like, even that thinking, I think is a little bit in line with, oh, like if I had a body that was a certain way, then maybe I would feel sexy. And that's, you know, that kind of messaging has been drilled into women kind of regardless of what culture they're in. And I remember I was having this conversation with someone. She's a Japanese American friend of mine, but she, she had like grown up in Japan. And she was like, Yuki, I feel like you would like really pull in Japan. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> she was like, well, cause like the Japanese female ideal is like really petite, really small, really skinny. And like, you know, you're like a giant. And I was like, am I? <laughs> I'm five foot six. And she's like, no, but like in Japan, you're really big, which is true. Like I go to Japan and I'm just like hulking around. (laughs) And, you know, like, I think that's something that's always made me uncomfortable when I would be in Japan. But I think that being able to reject that kind of like that, that narrative about like what is beautiful. Um, Mm -hmm. And so like, I feel like I don't have to have, you know, big luscious hips I can feel confident in the way that my body is different from the the Japanese norm. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, because your friend is basically saying that you're you're so exotic in Japan, right? <laughs> Very uncomfortable. <laughs> so I I think that that's an interesting point because, like in this poem, you might you know if you don't know anything about American culture, you just know that she that she's American and she's you know, this poem is clearly like a send up of stereotypes about black women's bodies. You know, I mean, like the the sort of like in between the lines in this poem is what the ideal is. Right. And yet even people who fit that ideal feel horrible about their bodies. So it's not, you know, I mean, obviously she's writing, she's, she's writing about black women specifically that don't fit this ideal, but the ideal is, shaming everybody <laughs> um like our own different like versions of what we don't fit into mm-hmm. every woman is fighting some kind of supremacy culture you know where we're being told that our bodies don't fit into mm-hmm. this like imaginary ideal and so for lucille clifton it's like you know she was told all her life probably that you know, she's taking up too much space and her hips are too big and whatever your grandma said, like, big like <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, like I was told all my life that, you know, I'm like walking around, clomping around like a man, <laughs> just like so big. And like, you know, but these are things that we have no control over. Right. So yeah, just, just like by virtue of our existence, we will never add up. Yeah. I mean, I think what's really interesting about this poem and like another thing that that what you were saying made me think of is that I've also heard from like really thin black women about how they felt really harmed by 
you know, the stereotypes that Black people had about Black people around, you know, being thick and having, you know, big hips or whatever. I, I know of lots of women who felt just like just as damaged by that, you know, as like the dominant white standard of beauty. And so it's it's also this 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 thing of like you're having to deal with like multiple strata of this beauty ideal where like, yes, you know, she is rejecting this this white standard of beauty and is embracing um, a, a, a black standard of beauty. But that is also like it's not necessarily benign, you know, either. Yeah. I I am hoping that like in this poem, like in her rejection of one standard of beauty, I think you can read it certainly as like upholding and promoting a different standard of beauty, but maybe it's just or like I would like to think that it's rejecting all standards of beauty. Yeah. You know, and just saying like, I am so beautiful, you know, like yeah. this understanding of my own beauty and my own power comes from within me and like my own personal standard and like how I want my body to perform or be. Yeah. And I should I should rephrase how I said that a little bit, because I, I agree. I don't think that she is trying to replace one standard of beauty with a like a white standard of beauty with a black standard of beauty. I think it is much more personal and just saying, like, this is what I look like and this is what I'm going to do. And you're going to simply watch me do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm amazing. <laughs> but I, but I do think that when I was thinking when you were talking about your reaction to the poem, there is someone for whom this is triggering because right. it's like, well, I don't have any hips. And that was a thing I was always made to feel really bad about. I don't get the impression that you were shamed for not having hips. It just seems to be like a fun. Someone work. told me once in college that I didn't have a butt. And I guess I didn't realize that until college, which is weird. I, I <laughs> but like, it was kind of like, it's so unnecessary, you know, it was like, yeah. everyone's having a big old laugh about you not having a butt. <laughs> and I'm like, just leave me alone. you know. <laughs> but like, I, I strive to be in a position where I don't feel defensive, you know, mm -hmm. like, and I'm sure someone was like, oh, yeah, like I can laugh about me being a cylinder. But other people, if they laugh about me being a cylinder, like I'll be holding back some tears, you know? Yeah. So like I strive to be in a place where I don't feel defensive. Like I'm so confident my own beauty mm -hmm. that I don't need to uh, listen or ascribe to anybody's feelings about anything. I am resisting the urge to like reassure you or like, like, Oh, you don't look like a cylinder because, but, but I, but I also genuinely don't think you look like a cylinder. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, you don't look like a cylinder. <laughs> you look like a person, you know? But the thing is, I, I think that I look like a cylinder, but I want to get to a place where I'm like, yeah. I look like a cylinder. <laughs> I cylinder will spin a man like a top. Like that's the place where I want to get to. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But thank you for saying that. I think that in general, yeah, nobody should be talking about other people's bodies like in that way. You know, I mean, I did, we did make fun of you a lot in high school for having short arms, but you, 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 did? But you know I what? Remember that. We used to call you T-Rex. My bad. I'm so sorry. I, I <laughs> remember that. So it's fine. But do I have short arms? I actually don't know now because I have since learned that I have really long arms. Oh, and like like right bordering on over here making fun of me. Yeah, like I, you if you ever if you ever see my mom, she looks like a cartoon. 
but I have my, my mom's arms are even longer than mine and I, I have long arms. So I, we did call you T-Rex. It wasn't just me. It was a whole group of us. Which makes it worse. Which does make it worse. So maybe you do have short arms. I don't know, but I, I can't be a judge because I have long arms. Uh, but nobody made fun of you. No, <laughs> they sure didn't. Do you have a favorite line? So obviously the last line. It's so fun. Spin him like a top. Spin him like a top. That's so good. Have you ever spun a top? I don't know. Yeah, I have actually. I have. Like with the string? No. But like with your fingers? Yeah. With your fingies. Okay. With my fingies. I will say that even with, you know, my, you know, the anxiety I have around my body, even given those things, I have been known to put a spell on a man and spin him like a top. Oh. And so I really, I mean, part of what I like about this poem is what is that, like, whatever ideal it is that I have not been matching up to, like, it doesn't really matter. You know, like, at the end of the day, even if I don't, like, match up to that particular ideal, I'm still mesmerizing men everywhere I go. So obviously it's the ideal that's wrong, right? right. Like, because if, 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 if it was the case that I needed to match this ideal in order to, you know, be someone deserving of attention or something, if that was the case, then I wouldn't be getting attention. Not that the goal is male attention, but it's, you know, clearly one metric used in the poem to indicate how fucked that ideal is. So the thought that what you just said raised is that like, even if you're not appreciated by everyone, you're going to be appreciated by someone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even if you're not appreciated by someone, you can be appreciated by yourself. It, yeah. Even if you're not appreciated by someone, like you still belong in the world and the world belongs to you. Yes. Yeah. You belong to the world and the world belongs to you. Mm-hmm. Do I have anything more to say? I don't feel like we've talked about the poem enough. I feel like we talked so much about the ideas in the poem, but um, okay. I'll, I will say that the other thing, I mean, I already said this, but like uh, it's not necessarily my favorite line, but I negative space. That's what I was thinking of. The, the poem does such a good job of evoking negative space and positive space like I can when she is writing about her hips I can imagine her hips moving in space you know I can imagine what was not there before and then like her body taking up the space you know mm -hmm. or my body coming in to take up the space and so there's a lot of like playing around with like negative space which I really like like emptiness is that empty that space is? yeah mm -hmm. empty space that's being filled in you know I I, I like that so much um and she's able to, the way she writes about it, like it's like her, her writing is like so clean, you know, the, the, in the background that you read, the quote that you read, it's a little iffy on that quote. You said that you liked it, but I was a little iffy on it. The one about like an egoless. Yeah. Mm. Let me, let me go back to it. The epiphanies of childhood and early, early adolescence when one's lack of preconceptions about the self allowed for brilliant slippage into the metaphysical, a glimpse into an egoless, utterly thankful and serene world. So there, there was one thing about it that I didn't like. Um, and I'm curious if you had the same thing that I, I, 
actually tell me what you didn't like about it first well okay well i didn't it sounded like a lot of words to say that she's naive like another like naive unpretentious you know like i thought it was like a little condescending but like the the i think mostly the the thing about it being adolescent and egoless i don't get that in the poem i don't i don't get like this like <laughs> this like pre-verbal childlike state i don't get that from her poetry at all um and i and i kind of feel like if you are getting that it's because you think that her writing is childlike which is like you know someone might think that i don't think so so the the part about childhood and early adolescence i think um that part was like it it like was something that i grappled with a little bit because Mm -hmm. this poem in particular feels to me like someone who has struggled with not feeling like their body belongs and have like come out on the other side but another part of me was like oof like I really wish that like this was something that someone could say without having come out the other side of something Mm -hmm. you know like what if every adolescent girl was like I am amazing. You know, like they could just like bust out and be like, this is just who I am and I deserve to take up space in the world and I'm beautiful and powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, I think part of it was that it was this aspirational adolescent mindset rather than what all of us. Yeah, there can be this confidence in, in being yourself when you're a child it's just that, like, it, it's what you said. This is a this is very clearly written by someone who has been through something and has like come out the other side of it. You simply can't attribute that to a childlike anything unless you just see this person as childlike, which is, I think, more of an issue with your or with the writer's perception of like what they think a poem is supposed to look like. This person kind of couched it not as a criticism, as a compliment, but I think it's, it's still the same thing. But has had this. A similar kind of understanding of their work of like, oh, it's it's simplistic. Maybe it's too simplistic. Uh, it is, um, you know, un- again, like unpretentious. You know, it's it's very obvious, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I deeply resent anything that talks about people's work that way. Like, you just need to be able to appreciate the simplicity of her language if you can't just say it just say i don't like it or i say i don't get it or say i prefer i prefer things to be more flowery and longer or and and um i prefer a, a complex sentence structure you know i like i like a little more you know i like some syntax whatever but like this is how she writes and she does it really well and she's an adult <laughs> i i mean i i like agree with everything that you're saying like you know it if it's a question of like infantilizing, then mm-hmm. I think it's it's a problem. Um, and I, I think that this person did write it intending it as a compliment. Yeah. But I, I think that like the reason that I did like it, even though I questioned it in relation to this specific poem, I really like childishness. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's something that like we try to like stray from mm-hmm. as adults want to be taken seriously but like I think that there's a lot of beauty and power in the way that children observe the world and like 
breaking things down into simple language and like not being flowery and not being like overly syntactical just to be taken seriously as like a grown up. Like, I think that there's a lot of silliness in that. And there, and I, there is. Yeah. And this poem in particular, like it is very approachable, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Um, there's a lot to dig into and there's a lot of, you know, darkness mixed in with the sass. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, like, yeah, it's very lean. It's very approachable. It's yeah. Eagleless is maybe not relevant to this specific poem. Um, and I haven't yeah. read it other poetry to like know if that's true. But like one one word that I really love is thankful. Like I also liked that word. Yeah, that was um, I don't know if she needed to do all that other stuff to build up to that. But I think thankful, yeah, I think, yeah. really does get at what I've read in, in some of her poetry. I mean, she 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 is she has, um you know, this simplicity of language that is able to just like get straight down to the thing of things. You yeah. Know? And um, it's like, almost like disembodying her hips. Right. It's like mm-hmm. her hips are part of her and part of her experience. Mm-hmm. But almost but like putting just her hips up on a pedestal it's like mm-hmm. oh what have these hips done for me what have mm-hmm. you know, what are hips it's mechanism i i think i'd have to um can you read the first part of the quote again yes clifton's revelations resemble the epiphanies of childhood and early adolescence when one's lack of preconceptions about the self allowed for brilliant slippage into the metaphysical a glimpse into an egoless, utterly thankful and serene world. Okay. So I feel that what you are saying about childishness and playfulness and silliness, I, I, I absolutely agree with as someone who is like a fundamentally childish person. But what the, the childlike aspect of her work are, is not the epiphanies. It's that she is able to use language in the way that she does. She's able to simplify things down. Like that is what seems to me to to evoke something of of childhood. That is a that takes tremendous talent and tremendous skill. I mean, because she's conveying complex ideas very simply. That's an incredibly hard thing to do. Yeah, the epiphanies themselves are the epiphanies of an adult who has experienced a lot. I don't know. I didn't. I just that it feels off to me. And I don't know anything about this writer. I've never. I don't know this. You know, know anything about anything. Um, but you know, a lot it's about it. <laughs> it is so that kind of thing is fre- so so frequently said about women's work, and I and it's so frequently said about Black people's work. You know that that there there is like this like subtle, nuanced postmodern form of art that is that is meaningful, but the meaning is extremely hidden and esoteric, and it takes you know um, several degrees you know, in order for you to understand it. And like, that's what art is supposed to be. That's what poetry is supposed to be. And that is something that is like, just so happens to be what a lot of white men's work looks like. A lot of white men's work, you know, that I actually really like. And so, you know, I don't have an issue with that. You know, it's just that like, there is an implied standard of what it's supposed to look like. And like, and I I, I'm, I might I might be reading a little bit too much into it because I'm just like, it's not it's not sitting well with me is all i'm saying I but i good. yeah but i but i i completely agree thankful yes you know the playfulness yes egoless epiphanies maybe i don't know i don't know about all that <laughs> i well i think like poetry 
things that we read, we come from different places, right? Like we have all of our different backgrounds and the, you know, all of the things that we have experienced or like, you know, read or, you know, like we're, we're coming at it from different directions. And like, I absolutely see what you're saying. And like, if that's the intent or the outcome, then that's like really, really unfortunate. Right. I think the, the, the comment about like childhood and adolescence, I think the, it didn't like bother me in the same way. One thing I think about when I think about adolescence in particular, not so much childhood, but definitely adolescence is people are discovering the ways that they're unique in the world. Mm -hmm. They're discovering the ways that they want to be different from their parents. And that's why they're so rebellious and like a pain in the ass. Right. And when I think about adolescence, like because of my experience being an adolescent and being awkward and horrible, um, is that like, oh, to be an adolescent equals feeling really uncomfortable with yourself and rejecting everything that came before you and just being a hot mess, right? (laughs) But what if the story of adolescence could be, I'm discovering my unique self and I recognize that my unique self is fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I like really wish that for my younger self and I wish that for yeah. that around me. And I think the, the truth is that probably for Lucille Clifton, certainly for me, the epiphanies of childhood and early adolescence were that uh, I don't belong. I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, I smell bad or, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I just like, I wish the epiphanies of childhood and early adolescence were better. Yeah. Were this. It was like, the, these were not the epiphanies I was having. So maybe that's why I'm like, you know, I'm struggling with, with that particular interpretation of her work. I did look at the full quote. Um, it's uh, in contrast to much of the poetry being written today, Intellectualized lyricism characterized by an application of inductive thought to unusual images. Lucille Clifton's poems are compact and self-sufficient. Her revelations then resemble the epiphanies of childhood and early early adolescence, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. I do think I like the quote more with that lead in because it is making the comparison to what is considered to be the standard of poetry much more apparent. And, and, and it, it, I mean, it's making it obvious in the sense that, like, it is it is not necessarily highlighting what her poems lack, which is how I heard it. And I, I like, even though she, it was obviously meant as a compliment, I still, it was, you know, I just immediately was like, oh, I don't know. But actually, even in the full context, it's kind of what you were saying before, right? Mm-hmm. Like, in contrast to what people have decided poetry should be, this is, mm-hmm. not that. this is decidedly not that. Yeah. And I think the implication is, and I like it. I, I think I think with the full context, it's saying, and that's a good thing, which I which I appreciate more. Um, it's just that, like, it, it, again, my childhood and early adolescence were not filled with these like wondrous egoless epiphanies. It was it just it, it just wasn't. And so I, I this reads to me like someone who is a full grown adult, maybe like around our age, probably not younger. and like has like that's that's exactly where I would put I would never associate this like uh, not and some I, I've read some of her other work as well I, mean, I just wouldn't associate it with 
the, the the like wonder in the face of the of the world or something like that and so that might just that just might be a difference in our in my childhood and, and the and oh that was rita dove actually i'm i'm familiar with her but i mean i had a i had a real different childhood so i don't know that, well, i mean me too yeah yeah well, another another adolescence thing is like you know they're discovering their bodies mm-hmm. and i'm like oh i wish when i discovered my body i loved it yeah i discovered my body it was horrible yeah same i tried to destroy it did you like you shave it and you contort it and you oh yeah yeah you know like you do everything you can to make it not itself yeah exactly yeah like i wish that when i had discovered my body i was like you're amazing and you don't need to be changed yeah the reason why thingful struck me as being very accurate and the childhood the adolescent thing did not was that her work is so i mean it is it, it is extremely sensuous like and and it's very of the body yeah. for sure, and so I mean I I think I think maybe what she maybe is getting at with that is like it is not you know, that mind body split thing that we've talked about before, where it's like you know like poetry, you know I live a life of the mind, whatever. It's her her poetry is very much about inhabiting your body and being in space and being in in material reality, but a lot of it is really like sensual and sensuous and sumptuous and and like really adult. Like I very specifically in terms of the content, again, the language is really playful, but I don't don't know. I just wouldn't describe it that way. But, you know, it's interesting. I I will say that, like, you you probably can't get to a place where you really appreciate your body unless you've grappled with not appreciating your body. Yeah. You know, so maybe that aspiration that I was talking about it really is not realistic not in this culture i don't think but yeah but yeah i mean that that's i mean again like that's why her um that just seemed so strange to me because like when you arrive at that kind of when you can arrive at a childlike sense of play and wonder as an adult it's because you have been through it like really like people like some some people are unusual and they like maintain that but it's 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 not common and, yeah. and the people who maintain that we we tend to think of as being like mentally ill, you know, um, like like really like you know if 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 an adult, someone our age was like God, you know, d- d- don't you think that the sky is just amazing? Sometimes I just look at the sky, you know, and they they were like that one hundred percent of the time. We would be, you would be like, oh, are you okay? Like, or if there was strange. like a teenager who was just like so at ease with themselves, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, and weird. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't, you would think there was something off about it. And so like, when you do really arrive at an appreciation of your life, of your body, of the world, of other people, that comes out of struggle, in in a struggle that you have to have moved through with some degree of wisdom, and children don't have wisdom, I mean, because they're they're children, you know, they they might have insight or or certain perspective, but they don't have wisdom. There's a lot of wisdom in her poetry. Yeah, I get it's, it's, you know, I should be a little more generous because she's not necessarily talking about this particular poem, but yeah, it was, it was. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So she, I mean, she's talking about her work in general, but yeah, you don't have to be generous. No, I'll be. Gen- well, I mean, that's the whole point. We're here to judge. No, we're not here to judge. We're here to appreciate. Well, both. It's a little bit of both. Well, I mean, well, no, I mean, not really, because I don't want to talk about poems I don't like. <laughs> I'm here to, I'm here only to talk about the things that I like specifically, you know? And so I, I, 
I'll say this. It is it is an interesting interpretation of her work and it is not one that I share. Yeah. But I'm glad that you that you pulled it because it's interesting. It was it, interesting to talk about. Okay. One thought that I had is like very relevant to what you were saying about like um, you know, her poetry doesn't fit like a certain esoteric standard of poetry. I'm just really glad that her poetry is taken seriously. Yeah. Creating that poetry takes a lot of mastery of language. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like the recognition of that, like I, I'm just glad that it's recognized for what yeah. it actually is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yuki, we gotta wrap up. What's your final what what's a what's a what what are your favorite lines? I think I already talked about it. I have a headache. That's my final thought. Ooh, okay, I'm getting one too. Yes. Okay. Um, my final thought. I'm glad you chose it. That's a final thought. I liked just kind of like luxuriating it in it and like having my mind go back to it because I do have this complicated relationship with my body, especially right now as I'm dealing with a a you know severe illness and and disability. And so having this experience of like, you know, she's like enthralled with her body, you know, and that's, that, that's kind of, um, it's, it's catching, you know, like when I read about her, her thrilling body parts, you know, I think about my thrilling body parts. And my final thought, I suppose, is that like this poem has popped into my mind a few times over the, over the week. Um, and I have just like, you know, when, when I'm thinking about my own body and it, it really does help me think about it differently and more lovingly and more, more excitingly, you know, I love that. That's uh, that's the power of poetry. That's the power of poetry. Can you believe it? It works. It does poetry. Help. It works. <laughs> um, I liked I liked having a disagreement with you. It, I mean, it wasn't really disagreement, but I liked having a difference of opinion. You mean about the um, the quote, or about when I castigated you earlier for saying that our podcast was too bleak? Oh. No, that was fair. That was a fair castigation. Thank you. I like to think of myself as fair. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I also really appreciate you reminding me of something that I had totally forgotten, which is about the arm thing, but forgiven you for. So I want you to know that young Yuki forgives you for your bullying ways. I don't want it because (laughs) it's not about you. It's about me. I know that's right because I didn't ask to be forgiven and I don't <laughs> want your forgiveness. That's fair. That's fine. And now it's time for us to end our podcast that we have stopped talking about. Is that your final thought? I, that was my final thought. I'm so done with this episode. Okay. Well, well, then this episode is over. Can it be over? It's over. Over. Lucille Clifton's biography was compiled from poetryfoundation.org and poets.org. All links will be available in the show notes. Our music is from Less FM. For questions, comments, or concerns, or if you have a poem you would like for us to discuss, hit us up at wepoetried at gmail.com. That's w-e.poe.tried at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye now. Goodbye. Goodbye.